uh, that you are a great God, that we are here by your mercies and your grace, and it is your grace that sustains us. And so as I speak, I pray that it would be your words that come out of my mouth, and that today all of us, myself included, uh, would be transformed by your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Um, So I need to begin today uh, with a confession and an apology. Um, So two weeks ago, when I was up at Synergy, I I was at a session on on Saturday and I was worshiping and praying. And Synergy uh, takes place at ICC up in Brisbane. And uh, Pastor Jono over there, he runs a fantastic church, but they really... Uh, I think they call for the prophetic. And so we're up there. Um, there's this guest speaker, and we're having him come down next year. And I'm, I'm praying. I'm worshiping God. It's really, really good. Um, and the whole conference, they're talking about, you know, the supernatural and angels. And uh, it's just, it's, it's really good. But I'm the kind of guy, I'll be really honest with you, I don't see visions often. Like, I just, I, I would tell you if I did, but I don't see visions of it, and I certainly am not one to walk around going, oh, I see angels, I see angels here, I see angels, like, like, I don't know, Roger's known me for ages. Since when have I, like, when was the last time I rocked up, you know, and said, anyway, so my eyes were closed, and usually when my eyes are closed when I'm praying, I just see dark. <laughs> and maybe when I'm in the front, you know, and I'm looking at the lights. So when I close my eyes, I see these spots where the lights are. You know, like literally, that's what it looks like when I close my eyes. Um, but that one time on Saturday, so this was two weeks ago, I close my eyes and I see a vision of myself. And this is like, it's really extraordinary for me. Like it's out of the norm for me. Like I just... Um, and so anyway, there were these two big angels. Like, so I'm seeing, like, myself uh, when I close my eyes. And so it's not one of these, like, my eyes are open visions. Like, my eyes are closed. Let's just be truthful here. All right? So my eyes were closed, and there were these two massive, like, they were way taller than me. Two big angels uh, behind me with these really big swords. And I, I was looking, it was, like, glowing, so I couldn't really see in a lot of detail. But then... One of them touches me. So they're right behind me, and one of them touches me. And as soon as he touches me, it's like I get a jolt and I, a flash, like a flashback. You know, like when you're, like, dying. And uh, I'm there, and, like, suddenly all these significant moments of my life are flashing before me. And, like, usually I just see black. So this is, like, really weird. And I'm, like, crying and... I, I, um, yeah, so then I see, uh, I see that moment where I get chosen to come to Australia. I, um, uh, you know, some of you may or may not know this, but I, I came to Australia to do an accelerated program. So I did year 11, year 12 in six months. But I wasn't the smartest one in, in my school, right? So I, I get into this program. I hit university at 15. I still remember that day when I got my results in. Um, I see myself studying for exams and, and just, I go, oh my goodness. And then 
you know, like going out for a movie the night before and then blitzing the exam the next day. Um, I see me getting that letter for that job from PwC. Uh, you know, my first job, I remember being pulled into the office, being the youngest manager at PwC. I remember being called into the office for Telstra's T1 float, which was a big deal. And because I was um, managing in Telstra's T1 float, it kind of set my career on, a, on this uh, massive turbo charge, I guess. Um, I remember walking into Melbourne Business School for the MBA and then being elected as the student president. I remember waiting... Um, walking in to talk to, it was like a stage like this, but on YWAM, walking in to talk to a group of youth leaders, high school youth group leaders when I became a pastor. And there was only 15 high schoolers in our youth ministry, including leaders. And there were like six or seven of them. I remember talking to them and saying, God really wants to do something amazing with that youth group. I remember, and then fast forward, like, bam, 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 it was really quick. I remember, uh, you know, being inside our house when we sold our house even earlier this year. Um, and yeah, last year. <laughs> That's how fast uh, life is flying by. Anyway, in each of these scenes, as I walked towards them, these massive angels would fly from behind and all of this opposition would come against us, would come against me. And I, would, I saw these angels and they pulled out these massive swords and they were fighting and there was just a battle all over. And as they were fighting, reinforcements would come from the air and then more and more fighting would take place just over the scene. Like over, not, not fighting like real people, but just out there while, while our scene was just kind of going on. And when I'm walking into the scene, be it my first job, be it um, uh, my election or whatever it is, as I'm walking in, when I get there, like 90% of the opposition is dead or dying on the floor. And I'm walking in and I'm like just being my normal self, you know, a little bit chirpy, a little bit, hey, yeah, that's pretty good. And then they're like one or two people left to fight. And I'm like, oh my goodness, there's two people to fight. And I'm like, ah, 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 with all my strength. I'm battling it, like, I'm battling it out. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is really tough. <laughs> really, really, really tough. But scene after scene, I would see myself like this. After, the, after these battles, um, and I, I was in tears because I actually two weeks ago, saw a vision of God fighting for me, and it's been happening for my whole life. Um, so I have a confession, because I think too many times I've taken credit for things that God has done. Um, uh, you, you may not see it, but I, I know now that there were these angels and there are these spiritual forces um, that have been going before and have been fighting. And, I, um, and I'm not as impressive as my stats would indicate. I guarantee you that. Um, I also have an apology. Because as a pastor, I feel like I fail to adequately emphasize the critical and crucial nature of a life that is dedicated to God. See, I would sit down and counsel with people 
And then I would show them and explain to them how to manage their time wisely and how to use their gifting wisely and all the different things that I do. And then sometimes I forget to mention, even though I know it, like I absolutely know it and I absolutely really, but sometimes in the counseling or in the preaching of a message or whatever, I forget to mention this one thing. All of my life is a living sacrifice to God. I'll be really honest with you. For a very long time now, my life has belonged to God. Um, I've checked with my wife, and she's the same. So our family, when God asks us to move, we move. When he asks us to do something, we just do it. I know that there are many of us here that are like that. Your life belongs to God. But that is a very crucial, critical difference. Because when you are God's, when you are God's, you're sold out for God, your life is His. Then He is fighting for you. He's not fighting for you in the sense that, oh my goodness, all of heaven exists for you. And you can have like this amazing, beautiful life. It's not like that. It's like you are his. And no one messes with his stuff. And so I feel like I haven't really spoken enough about, because you see, we could do church and we could definitely all grow up in the same church and the same community and, the, and there can be this misunderstanding that what it is to be a Christian is to do all the Christian religious kind of things. But basically, if you um, boil it down, and it, we could just be really, really truthful, sometimes I encounter people, and basically they just want God to do stuff for them, right? Like, how do I fix my marriage? Uh, um, how do my children get a good job? How do I find a girlfriend? How do I deal with my depression? And, and basically the, the summary of all of that is, hey God, how, how can you serve me? But my life, it's mine. Um, and I'll tell you now, there is a marked difference. I've seen this in my, my own life. There is a marked difference when all of your life belongs to Him. That word living sacrifice, I hope you don't read when we do Romans 12, 1 to 2. I hope you don't read that and think it's a metaphor of some Christian, like, oh my goodness, sacrifice, whatever you think sacrifice is in the Old Testament, whatever people would have believed sacrifice is, like, and then your whole life sacrificed, that's what it means. And um, I can't even begin talking about the ending part of Romans without, actually, because two weeks ago, this, this shattered me to the core. Because once again, it reaffirmed for me, yeah, I serve the Lord. God, you're, you're mine. What you want me to do, I will just do it. It doesn't matter whether there's a good argument for it or so-and-so is doing it. I can name other people who are not doing it. If you call me, it's yours. But at the same time, I got this image that God then, because I'm his, he, he's fighting for us. And he is a big 
God. He's a really big God. I, uh, I think of Psalms 23, which talks about God is our shepherd. You know those sheep in a, in a, for the shepherd? Like seriously, they belong to him. That shepherd one day is going to like maybe kill the sheep, if we could just be really honest, right? Like that the sheep of that shepherd, they are the property of the shepherd. But Psalm 23 then goes, you are my shepherd and you lead me to green pastures. I, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I'm surrounded by my enemies, oh my goodness, I'm eating fraikwetel. That you could not be more relaxed in front of enemies when you have a shepherd that is bigger than the wolves. Like today's shepherds would, like I saw some, um, when I was studying in Chicago, they, they showed us what modern day shepherds are. Like they full on have machine guns. You don't mess with today's shepherds. <laughs> you know, like, the reason why sheep can go to these places where there's still grass is because no other animals made it there. There are predators around. Um, but there is this sense that if you are God's, then he's yours. There is that sense of walking. And we must never, never confuse the doing of church and the being of a Christian or whatever that is, from the we are a living sacrifice. Because there are some of us that are walking in that arena. And I know that. I, I grew up here at FGA, so I know. There's a whole bunch of us. And we genuinely feel that all of our lives is for God to direct. And, and I don't mean just as a pastor. I'll be honest with you. I felt that way before I was a pastor. always felt that God, you are my God. Whether I'm working in the workplace, whether I'm at school, like God, you're my master. And so then when I'm counseling people, I'm like going, oh yeah, you just do this. You know, like I remember even coming out of my own mouth, like I would say to people, here is the trick to like doing well at university. Just do all your pre-reading, you know, before the first lecture starts. Like just read the entire curriculum, all the whole thing, right? And so then, even if you don't understand it, just read it. Right? And then when you start the first day and you go through, it's the second time you're hearing it. And that will differentiate you from all of your other classmates who are all hearing for the first time, playing, I don't know, Candy Crush, whatever it is. Like, you'll blitz through it. And I genuinely, genuinely believe that. And that's a good tip, by the way. But, oh my goodness, now I realize that God has actually really been blessing our lives, my life even, and he's got a purpose for me. And I'm his. FGA is his. Like, I know we can think like the fair was amazing and the Frequitiao was the one that sealed the deal for everybody, you know. And, but did you know the weather was such a major part? I don't know if any of us even affected the weather, to be honest. Like, in our own, did we affect the weather? Because if the weather didn't go well, we could be carnival games in the rain and like nothing, you know. Um, I know we did a bunch of things for the building and we've just got our building um, planning permit approved, right, without having to go to the neighbors or council or anything, without going to VCAT. Oh, my goodness, we could point and say a ton of things about why that went well, but I, I kid you not, the big battle was already fought for us before we showed up. That's why I'm really excited about us going to Box Hill because in some sense, 
God is paving the way already for us. And I'm convinced that Box Hill needs a church like FGA. It needs a church like FGA. It needs a church where it does relationally high, high intimacy. So we're very interfering with your life, right? It needs a kind of church that eats a lot of food, like the picture that we have there. It needs a, it's a church that's across multi-generations and multi-generations can stay on. Like Box Hill needs a church like that, and God knows that, and He's preparing that way. We just have to move in obedience and maybe fight the one or two leftover people to kill, I mean, not the people to kill, you know, like the spiritual forces to kill, you know. Um, anyway, so uh, when we embark on this, the ending part of Romans, um, it's important to have that mindset because Romans 12, 1 to 2 is for many theologians the anchor point and the tipping point for the whole book of Romans. Um, okay, I'm going to run my own. And it, and it talks about being a living sacrifice. Okay, and you're going to have to run it for me. Praise the Lord. Um, you know, it talks about us being a living sacrifice. Um, next slide. Paul appeals He's like, you want to belong to God. You do. You want to be His. That is the whole gospel message. So from 1 to 12 is the gospel basics. And if you go back to our podcasts or, um, and you look at our sermons, you'll see the gospel basics. We actually have, like we go through all of the different chapters and, and, and the gospel message. It's basically, the, um, Paul is trying to explain the good news of Jesus Christ. And he's trying to say, we don't need to live in sin as slaves to sin, but we can be slaves to Christ. And that is so much better. And that how we all, Jews and Gentiles, can now access God. And then we get to Romans 8, which is phenomenal. And I just want to read to you, like, Romans 8, I wish I could just sit down and read all of Romans 8. But here, Romans 8.28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. But Paul is so emphatic when he gets to chapter 12, I appeal to you by the mercy, for the mercy's sake, for the mercies of God, give yourself as a living sacrifice because he knows that, that once you're with God. So let's look at verse 31. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, I'm not talking about a kind of prosperity theology that says, oh my goodness, God is for us, and so everything is going to go really well. I'm talking about ultimately God is for you. Ultimately, God is for you. That the judge, the reconciler of all things, is going to weigh up our lives, and He's for us, all right? And we'll talk a little bit about that uh, later on. But I think um, for all of everything past chapter 12 to occur, first, we must be His. Our lives must be a living sacrifice. That's why Romans 12, 1 to 2 is like an anchor part of it. I think it's like marriage. We must give ourselves to each other. In order for it to really, really work. But, oh my goodness, this is not a marriage of equals. That when Christ gave His life for us, He is so much 
greater. It's like we're dating up. Like what I did. So our series for the next two weeks is called Love Like Jesus. Um, next slide. Uh, and we're, uh, yeah, and so we're going to go from Romans 12 all the way to Romans 14. But today we're mainly going to sit on Romans 12. Um, next slide. So the first thing you have to understand is that you can't love like Jesus unless you first love Jesus. Okay? Um, that, uh, so think of it like marriage, right? You, when you fully love someone, you're giving up of your whole self to that person. So you can't, everything that we're going to talk about today and, and next week about the love like Jesus can't be done until the whole gospel has become a work in your life. And you go, oh my goodness, God, I am a sinner and I can't fix myself. And I really need you. Can you be my Lord and my Savior? My whole life now is yours. That is the beginning part of this conversation. Okay, so that was just the intro. <laughs> the rest of the sermon, I'm going to go through. Now, it will be really interesting for you if you um, follow with the Bible. Because for the rest of this sermon, I'm going to run it like a Bible study. Okay? We're going to read through. This is our scripture here. So we're going to read through scripture, and I'll help you by explaining it. So I feel like it will come alive if you follow along. Um, Paul doesn't do neat three-point sermons with one liner. He just doesn't. And so we're going to go the way Paul does. It's going to seem really random and all over the place, but it's not because I'm rambly. I actually like to have just one clear point. But Paul says a bunch of things. And so we're going to go where Paul goes. Even if you only take one or two points from today, out of the many that are going to be said, that's good. Then I just encourage you to read through Romans and find out why does Paul say be a, appeal to you to be a living sacrifice. And then read Romans 12, Romans 13, Romans 14. Just read it yourself and, um, and see what you can get from that, okay? So uh, Romans 12, 1 to 2. Um, I don't have it on the screen, but uh, I'll just say it really fast since it's our anchor for the verse for the year, and I'm sure everyone's memorized it. So I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, so that you can do it, um, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. All right? Then we get to 12, 3 to 8. And it says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Because uh, honestly, you're not that awesome. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body. Now listen to this. We are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Next. Having gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us, hey, let's 
use them. If it's prophecy, in proportion to your faith. If it's service, then, then in your serving. If it's teaching, then in your teaching. If the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes, do it generously. The one who leads with zeal. And the one who does acts of mercy, do it with cheerfulness. Next slide. So the first thing here to understand is we are the body of Christ. All right, when it says love like Jesus, the actual intention is that we love, all of us as a church, we love as if we are Jesus, his body. All right? And you see that love like Jesus, um, immediately, as soon as he says, oh, be a living sacrifice, as soon as he goes to the next thing, he starts talking about how we interact with other people. Oh, there's all different parts of this body. Firstly, he addresses um, the household of faith. You'll see that consistently with Paul. Because if you can't get this right, it's a little bit hypocritical to then start loving other people. Do you get it? Like, it's always so easy. Oh, I love people in Philippines, in Africa, whatever. Yeah, fine. You don't see them every day. It's very easy for you to love somebody who's uh, on the other side of your Facebook messaging uh, app, right? So there's the first part of that conversation begins and says, hey, how are we going to interact? And, and one of the things that can happen is, so the next point for this passage is um, do what you are called to do and do it well within this body. All right, so if you're serving, then serve, serve well. If yours is generosity, then, you know, be generous, right? Um, sometimes, I think a great example of that is the White Horse Community Fair, to be honest. I'm so thrilled to see how our whole church as a body worked together. But sometimes what happens at FGA even is we think we are absolutely essential for the whole organization. You know, like sometimes as a senior pastor, that thought popped into my head and, oh my goodness, God, like, because none of us are absolutely essential. They got like the, the drink stall and they like sold $3,900 or whatever of drinks, right? That's all that the carnival games made. Like, but we had like heaps of people proud. But if we just had a drink stall in the middle of the field alone, it'd be pretty lonely. Do you know what I mean? Like, so we all need everybody, even though you feel like you're an essential part of it. And how come I'm the only one who notices this and I'm the only one who's doing this? You know what? If you are called and gifted for something, you notice it way more than somebody else because that is the, the grace and the gifting that God has given you. So if you're a mighty prayer warrior, oh my goodness, God's going to call you to pray much more than somebody else. You're holding up prayer for the body of Christ. Um, whether if that's worship or if it's um, the word of God, any one of those fivefold ministry, if you're called to that, can I encourage you not to look over and go, oh, look at that. I'm, I'm the legs and I'm so good at walking. But you know those ears, they're terrible at walking. Why don't they walk like I'm walking? I'm like, oh. Because the ears are meant for listening, and we're they're meant, to, and so that's how we're supposed to function. Jesus was very, very um, clear in his ministry when he was on earth. There were some things he walked away from. He would go, "This is I, I pray for people, and I'll do this." And then when it's done, he would move off. 
there's a whole heap of things that Jesus could, could have done. He could have actually reached the whole world. Instead, he invested his time with the 12. So know what God is calling you to do and just do it well. Um, okay, verse 9. So now here we're going to... So what he does is, Paul says, be a living sacrifice. Then he addresses the, the whole body of Christ. He's like, hey, all of us first. Then, now I'm going to say a couple of things about what it's like to love, um, how you're going to show love. And he begins, and you know his love is the topic because he begins with, let love, uh, let love be genuine. Right? He begins that part in verse 9. Let love be genuine. And in today's day and age, I think that line gets misunderstood a lot. Because today, what it means when somebody says, hey, let your love be genuine is, don't pretend. If you really don't like the person, just say you don't like the person. Don't put a fake smile and pretend like you like the person. In today, love mean, uh, love, let your love be genuine. In today's terms, what it means is that whatever you feel on the inside, or whatever is going in on the inside, needs to be the same as what's going outside. So, so be genuine about it. That's where it's kind of coming from. Now, I want to tell you, that is not what this verse is talking about. Well, while that might be true, and it's a good thing, like I'm not talking about like being you know, facetious and pretending and stuff like that. But that's not what this verse is talking about. Alright? This verse is talking about let love be the real deal. So back in those days, you would have gold currency. And things uh, weighted, right? And some people would cheat. Right? They would go, oh, here's a gold coin, but half of it is full of, I don't know, some other metal that's not gold. And so then, your gold is not genuine. Your coin is not the real thing because it is full of cheap rubbish, basically, right? And so when it says, hey, let your love be genuine, it's saying, let your love be the real thing. Here's a big insight. If you want to write one thing down from today, write this, the next slide. You are not the template for what love is supposed to look like. You're not. For love to be the real thing, it's got to look like Jesus. So when Paul says, let your love be genuine, what he's trying to say is, let love like Jesus. That's what he's trying to say. He's, he's trying to say, Whatever, however you show love, whatever you want to do, like, don't fill it up with all this fake stuff and pass it off as love. Let your love be genuine, you see? So, um, and I think today we miss that because so much of the songs that we hear, so much of the movies and TV shows that we watch, they're us focused. And so then we become that template. Oh, it's not working for me. I'm not feeling the love. So I'm not going to show you the love. But that, that's not the real love. You've watered it down with half Bruno Mars, half, you know, whatever. And then you've given, like, you're, you're, you're loving like a pop song. You're not loving like Jesus. And so it's important, I think, to realize from the word go 
that when he starts talking about love, like when he says, let your love be genuine, um, it is let your love be the real thing. And then he goes into details. Oh, my goodness, details. Okay. So from 9 to 21, the rest of 9 says this. And we'll just stay here on this slide. It goes, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. That word abhor in the Greek, that is the only instance of the word abhor in the whole New Testament that, of that intensity. All right. So it's almost like Paul made up a word and you're like, oh my goodness, like absolutely detest, hate, evil, and hold fast to what is good. You know, um, this is very significant because uh, I don't know if you know this, but in the, uh, the New Testament, the Greek New Testament, uh, there are no chapters, there's no verses, right? In fact, they don't have sentence, full stops. They don't even have spaces in between words, right? And, and they don't have caps. So it's all full caps, like you're shouting, and all the letters are strung together like a kid's puzzle. And it's a blah. And so... Uh, the writer uses things like inclusio or um, different techniques to sort of say this is all one section. So verse 9 goes, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And when you get to 21 at the end, it goes, and don't be conquered by evil. Instead, let good conquer evil. Right? And so you know all of that links in together. And it's part of him trying to say, hey, let your love be like Jesus. Like be the real deal. What does that mean, to let your love be the real deal? You know, the reason why I think he goes into a lot of detail, and he goes into a ton of detail through the rest of Romans, is because no one begins this journey wanting it to, like, go bad, right? Nobody goes into a marriage thinking, oh, my goodness, I look forward to the day that I can completely slack off and my marriage will die and be loveless. Like, who starts off like that? Who starts off becoming a follower of Jesus Christ and saying, I want to love like Jesus, so I will skip service, I won't read the Bible, I will watch TV, I will bicker with my brother and sister, I will, like, no one begins that. Everyone wants to love like Jesus amazingly. So I think Paul says, well, okay, if we all want to love like Jesus, um, let's just make sure we're on the same page. What does that actually look like in detail? Just so that we know what genuine looks like, what the real gold, what the pure gold look like. And that's why he goes into so much of these things. And he begins with, and he actually, uh, no, let's go back. He does... Um, but, yeah, he goes, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. This is how you process this whole section. So I'm, I'm trying to give you tips as you read through Romans. Because Romans is a difficult book to read. All right? So this is like Bible study time. Abhor evil. It works like this. Oh, my goodness. I hate you, Roger. I don't even like you. You know, you're so irritating. Your mannerism, your mannerism, and you pray, 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 la, la, you play the guitar, la, 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 Oh, you are so irritating. But do you know what I abhor even more than that? 
I abhor evil. I abhor evil. And so even though everything in me is irritated with what you're doing, and I want to react evil, I want to do something not loving to you, oh my goodness, I hate evil even more than that. I abhor evil. I will put up with all kinds of stuff because the last thing I want to do is be a bitter person, an unforgiving person, a, a hate-filled person, a person who takes revenge. But I hate that. And I'm going to cling to what is good. Even if all of my insides doesn't feel right. You see? That's where I think today's pop psychology um, misses the mark for us. Because then there are all these people who just, they tap out of marriage, they tap out of ministry, they tap out of something. Oh, my goodness, I don't feel it. So I just got to be real. I got to be genuine. I don't feel it. I don't like the church. I don't like the pastor. Forget it. No, 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 no. What is being talked about here in Romans is be like Jesus. Be the real thing. Cling to what is good so that even if you have to struggle on the inside with it and God has to deal with bitterness in your heart and you have to continue, oh my goodness, my mother-in-law has all these irritating habits. You've got to go. What I hate worse is to be that kind of person who continually talks bad about my mother-in-law and all, whatever. I don't want to be that person. That's evil. And then your love becomes genuine. Do you see? Then, then, you're, then that's pure gold. And so let's look in detail at the kinds of things he talks about because we don't want to just stay in airy fairy land. So let's read it. And there's a lot of them. So you might just want to write down one or two, right? But I'm just going to read all of them out. Okay. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Oh, I honor you. Honor you, honor me. Oh, I honor you. I honor you. I honor you. I honor you, I honor you more. Let me pay. <laughs> okay. Um, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. We're not serving your ministry head, your home group leader. We're not serving, like, we're serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of saints and seek to show hospitality. That word seek, oh, let's stay back there. Um, that word seek to show hospitality. Oh my goodness, if you can meet somebody who seeks to show hospitality, that's amazing. Usually, we have to seek that person and go, hey, could you do us a favor and like uh, take somebody out? Okay, um, but you see all of these... Um, They're all, they're all verbs. They're all how you live out that love. So when Paul says, let your love be, the gen be genuine, be the real thing, he's trying to describe what that real thing looks like. That's why our tagline for love like Jesus is something along the lines of, thank you, Harold, for coming up with the title, uh, along the lines of what's different about the way Jesus loves, right? Because he's trying to describe pure gold. He's trying to describe loving like Jesus looks like this. Okay, next. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Next. If possible. Now, so Paul understands. It's not possible to live peaceably with everybody because maybe they hate your guts, right? But if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Oh my goodness, that'll be even worse. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, then feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then it ends with 21 which talks about don't use evil to conquer evil, but conquer evil with good. Okay? And so, um, this whole passage in Romans 12, I think is an invitation to love the way Jesus loves. And what I like about Paul is he doesn't just summarize it in some like abstract kind of notion that everybody can agree with. If you actually try and go through that, if you're being really honest, you'll struggle. You really will. And then you'll discover pure gold. Wow, that's really valuable. That's like something special. Um, and um, I just want to challenges we're gonna take uh, we're gonna end the service actually with communion um and uh next week i'm actually I, I'm, I'm loving it because next week i'm just gonna go verse by verse and we're gonna do 13 and 14 and you'll get to know romans better you'll get to know the psyche behind why paul is writing some of these things right but um the idea of love like jesus is that we are meant to love like we are Jesus. Now, don't, like, don't freak out with the theology too much. Obviously, I get it. You're not actually Jesus, right? But for your friend at school, your colleague at workplace, your husband, your wife, your kids, you might be the only Jesus they see. We are his body right? We're the body of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to think when we do this series, Love Like Jesus, imagine you're called to be Jesus. And I know some of that won't sit right with you because you would think, oh my goodness, if I'm Jesus, then I can't do this. I wonder, yeah, that's right. That is absolutely right. If you're Jesus, and you're walking into and you know that what you're doing is evil. And you know that what you're doing is wrong. Then maybe you should not be doing it. Or if somebody is driving you insane, you know, and making you like, oh, they are making me have all these bad feelings. Like, what you've got to do is go, more than I abhor this person, I abhor evil. And you cling to what is good. You see? And so, um, as this passes, I think it's very significant 
that the elements, the communion elements, are, and we've got a picture of food that's up in our background there. I think it's really significant that Jesus picked food that you ingest and becomes you as the elements for communion. Because, now, I've got to be really careful how I say this, because it's probably a deep explanation later on, but the high-level stuff is you, you are living out Jesus. Your call is to live out Jesus for the world. And so as you take communion, that's you saying, not only do I remember Jesus and what he's done, I'm now called to be Jesus for this world. So you join in communion. You commune like um, you're one with. You commune with Christ, his kingdom, his mission, his purposes. Do you get it? And so um, Corinthians... I have it actually on the on-screen Bible right at the bottom. So if you, Corinthians 11, I think. Um, if you pull that up, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. That's why we do this very often at FGA. In remembrance of me. But listen to this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Next. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an un worthy manner. Think about what it means to do that in an unworthy manner. We'll be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. We are, let a person then examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Okay, I'll just leave it on that. Let's be really clear. None of us are worthy in our own righteousness, in our own right to stand before God. The thing that makes us righteous, and Pastor Ron covered it in the breastplate of righteous, the thing that makes us righteous is actually because we fully rely on Jesus. Right? We are His. We are covered by Jesus. But you pretty much have to be Jesus's. You have to belong to Jesus in order to be covered by Jesus. We can't say, I'm doing my own thing but please cover me with the blood of Jesus. And then, like, it's not just a ritual. It is Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And so I think when this passage says, let a person examine, that's why we wouldn't encourage. If you're not a Christian, and I'll put it to you even, if you feel like your faith, you're like, oh my goodness, I just come to church because my mom nags me or my aunt. Like, it's okay, give it a miss. Because when we do the communion, it is us saying, I want to be you, Jesus. I want to take you into my whole, your body and your blood in all of me. 
And then you commune with Jesus. It's communion. So then you're one with Jesus. You're one with his mission, his purpose, his call. And then you are then you step into this realm of I'm going to then love like Jesus. I'm going to be Jesus. My, my mission, my call now, when I go to my workplace on Monday, when I rock up to my family, lunch, when I meet the, the relative that I don't like or whatever it is, oh, oh my goodness, I just ate Jesus' blood and, his, and his, his body and now I am going to meet this person. I better love like Jesus. We're called to be Jesus, to love like we're Jesus. And so I'm going to pray over our communion. Oh, awesome. And let's do this um, together. Father, I want to thank you for your body that was given for us. That um, we are now called to be the body of Christ. And so, Lord, even as we take this, we remember you and the sacrifice that you've made, but also the call for us to be a body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, I want to thank you for your blood that was shed. We know it was not lightly shed. Your word says that we are to join in the fellowship of your suffering. And so even as we drink of this, help us to remember what it is to be a living sacrifice. In Jesus' name. Let's drink. Father, I pray for all of us as FGA Melbourne, as a household of faith, Help us for, to serve the Lord. Help us to live out the genuine kind of love, the real kind of love that reflects Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.